This weekend, again, we've been celebrating our freedom as a country, our independence that took place hundreds of years ago, and, and where we often remember some of us have served in uh, the military, some of us served in wars, some of, uh, some of us have had our life put on the front line to protect that freedom. For some of us sitting in here this morning, it's easy for us to take it for granted because we may have not been put in that position Maybe we haven't even had family members put in that position, but for some of us sitting in here uh, this morning, this is very real. Some of you may recall the moments where your life might have been placed in danger to protect that freedom so that others may be sitting in here this morning can experience that freedom that we have. Um, and that's a freedom that, again, we should never take for granted. It's also a freedom that should point to the ultimate freedom, and that is freedom in Jesus Christ, as, that, as the video just said. And so as we take a look at all of this freedom, it's very uh, interesting uh, because the, we, that this kind of lines up with this weekend because we're going to be talking about persecution, which would be the opposite of freedom, right? And so uh, as we take a look at persecution, again, last week, uh, as I shared with you, Kyle uh, brought the message. If you hear last week or Wednesday, we t- he talked about uh, being persecuted for doing righteousness, persecuted for doing what is right, uh, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. And so um, what I want to do is I want to take a look at the Beatitudes we've been looking at. We're in this series called Culture. And as we embrace these beatitudes, these attributes, these characteristics within our lives, it's very natural to see that once we get towards the end, if we're embodying and embracing all of these beatitudes, it's it's very, um, I think, obvious to see that this flies counter uh, counter culture. Uh, The culture in which we live in really, I don't believe, embraces these whatsoever. But yet, as we are called to be Christ followers, Jesus is saying these these characteristics will be a part of my followers. They'll be characterized by these. Not really optional as sometimes we read the Word of God. That, well, these are great, but I don't think I can live up to them, so those are just optional. That's really not the way it was intended to be written. It was intended to be embraced to say, if we are a follower of Jesus Christ, these are evident within our lives. In fact, as we look at these, this is kind of a litmus test to say, am I a follower of Jesus? Am I a disciple of Jesus? And as we look down through these, it can be, again, a litmus test to see how we are doing um, as a Christ follower. So um, I pray that you look at these as literal. I pray that you look at these to say, you know what, these are the things that, that, that God wants to instill within me. This is the fruit that needs to be produced within my life. So if you would, uh, turn with me to Matthew chapter 5, uh, verse 3, or you can grab your program, which has them on one side of the program. Um, I'm going to read from the New Living Translation, and the Bible's in the back of the pew. Uh, That's from the NIV. Um, If in the program, I think it might be from the message, or I, I can't remember what translation we put in there. Is it the message? Okay. So it'll read a little bit different. My, the New Living Translation and the New International, uh, the NIV will be somewhat similar. But listen to what it says in the Beatitudes. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for Him. Is that countercultural? Absolutely it's countercultural. We're taught that we can fend for ourselves, right? I don't need to lean on anybody. I am self-sustaining. I can do this myself. I don't need your help. Very countercultural when Jesus says God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for Him. This isn't so much monetary value. It's more of a spiritual posture that says I'm absolutely nothing without God. I can't make it. There's no way that I can be the person that He's called me to be or be the person that I even want to be or be the person that I'm even, that in my mind I strive to want. The desire, you know, thinking that this is what I want a blessed life. I want my life to look this way. And God is saying, Jesus is saying, there is no way that you 
you can have a life that, that, that we're all searching for without it being rooted in Him. God blesses those who are poor and realize this. God blesses those who mourn. And again, these build, these first three are kind of a set. It says God blesses those who mourn because once we become in that posture, we begin to realize that, wow, I'm not self-sustaining. I need Jesus in my life. I need God in my life. And furthermore, when we expound out on that teaching, that means that God provides, Scott Stalker uh, has said before, you know, through one of his prayers where God said, I'm going to give this to you, Scott, but I'm going to give it to you through what? Community. Community. And so we begin to look and see that I need others around me. We begin to mourn because I'm not the person that, 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 that I want to be. And we begin to see things through Jesus' eyes. God blesses those, in verse 5, who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. And then it says, God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. Or hungering thirst for God's righteousness, for they will be filled. And so... As we look at this, you can, you can certainly see there's no way that a person is going to hunger and thirst for righteousness if they're not poor in spirit and humble before God. Why would you care to be humble or, you know, mourning or, you know, at the end of their rope or poor in spirit if you're not hungering and thirsting for His righteousness. And so then once we begin to, to, we begin to conform into that and we become hungering and thirsting for God's righteousness, what happens? We become merciful individuals because we realize that God is a very merciful God and that God blesses me. God gives me things that I don't deserve and He doesn't give me things that I do deserve. And so, um, we begin to become a merciful person. Our hearts become what? Pure. We begin to think upon things of God. Our hearts become pure. And that's when we're able to see God. That's when we become peacemakers. Not peacekeepers, but peacemakers, which seems to indicate there's more intentionality behind that than there is peacekeeping. Peacemaking means that we are going to be individuals that have hearts at peace, not hearts at war, but hearts at peace. And we're going to be individuals that, that again, want that peace. And then it goes to the verse 10, which Kyle spoke on last week, and it says, God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right. Let me ask you a question. You go out in our world today, you are a humble individual. You are poor in spirit. You mourn for the things for God. You become a very merciful individual. You're hungering and thirsting for His righteousness. Your heart is pure. You are a peacemaker. Do you think you're going to come up against opposition? Sit in a meeting sometime and lean the other direction and say, I'm concerned about extending mercy versus always dropping the hammer on someone. And that doesn't mean you have to neglect if, if someone's in the wrong, you, you don't condone what they're doing. That's not the point at all. But let me just share, if you're sitting in a meeting and you're having conversation with someone else and you're an individual that says, I want to keep peace, I want to make peace. I want to, I don't want to just keep it, I want to make it. And, I, and this is how I'm going to be intentional with this. Do you think that's going to, to, to create opposition? You bet it will. In fact, I would guess, I would probably throw it out there to say that's why for many of us we struggle with it, is because it creates such opposition sometimes we don't want to deal with it. We're too tired. We're worn out. We don't want to deal with it any longer because every time we, we become the person or exhibit the person that God's called us to be, we come up against opposition. It's just a natural thing. We were talking and preparing for these messages and one of the things I said was, I don't think Jesus came enough 
don't tune out on me. I don't think Jesus came to make enemies. Okay? I don't think that was his intention. I'm coming to make enemies. I think because of who he was, because of his heart being pure, because of him being a peacekeeper for him, or a peacemaker. Holy cow, am I going to just butcher that one today? But as he embraced all of this, he didn't condone people's, he didn't condone people's sinfulness. He challenged it. But, but here's my thing. You go out into a world, you're going to be persecuted for that. I don't, I think when you're that type of person, you're going to make enemies regardless. You're going to be persecuted because it's vastly different. We watched a video. We were going to show it to you, but it was very academic, academia, and it was just so, but, but you've probably experienced this before in chemistry class where you drop in what they call an, um, an irritant. You know, that, that one chemical that's an irritant. And when you drop in that one, and if the solution is just right, you drop in just a couple drops of that irritant chemical. And when it hits this pool of other chemicals, it literally changes all of this to this. You know what I'm talking about? That's what we're called to be. We're called to be individuals, and we'll talk about that next week when we talk about salt and light. But you are saved. You are called by God to be one of His children, to be co-heirs with Jesus Christ, adopted in His family, to be irritants in this world per se, because as you're dropped into this culture, you change the culture. The internal comes out and changes the external. That's what Jesus did. My point to all that is to say, when we become who Jesus has truly called us to be, we are going to get persecuted because you're going to bring light and expose things to the light that's not there. That's what Jesus did. His very presence brought light. His very presence exposed the sinfulness of man. That's what we're called to be and do. And we're going to talk about that next week. I'm kind of excited to get to that point next week about the salt and light because there's some really cool things as he uses that. Now, as we begin to study this this week, I'll be honest with you, it was kind of difficult because we talked, we're talking about persecution twice. And as we look at this, why does he talk about persecution twice? Verse 10, God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for their kingdom of heaven is theirs. And then he turns right around and says, God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because of what? Because of what? Look, look, look at that passage of Scripture in the NIV. What's it say? Because of what? Because of Jesus, right? Because you're taking on my name. You're being pers- you're not being persecuted because you like Michigan football over Michigan State or you hate Ohio State. And all th- I mean, think of every pithy analogy that I could come up with. Some of us, we just curl up and cr- Some of us will really fight for those things. And that's going to be a couple of the points here. Some of us will really come out of our shell and fight for things. And he's saying... Um, yeah, that doesn't count. I don't. I, I'm not so sure God cares whether Michigan beats Ohio State or not. Now I do know He cares about West Virginia football because West Virginia is almost heaven, right? Thank you. That's the word of God. That's what the word of God says. So here, so here's my point, though. Here's so you look at this and you're like, why does He say? And He says in verse 12, "Be happy about it. Be glad." Be glad because people are going to persecute you because you look like me. Be glad because people are going to persecute you for my name, for my name's sake. 
How many of us are sitting in here this I wonder how many of us are sitting in here this morning where we could say, you know what, this past week I was persecuted heavily for Jesus' name. I stood up for what was right. I stood up for who Jesus was. I stood up and I was that person that Jesus called me to be. And because of that, consequently, I was persecuted. That's what he says is going to happen. And he says, if that takes place, he says, blessed are you when people mock you. Blessed are you. Be happy about it. Be glad about it. Because a great award awaits you. In another passage, he says, if you can't even acknowledge my name, if you're embarrassed about me, I'm going to be embarrassed of you when that end day comes. That's very strong. That goes beyond the comfort theology, doesn't it? That goes, goes beyond and really challenges us. But today as we reflect on verses 11 and 12, and specifically at verse 11 where he says, God blesses you, and then I'll tell you, be happy about it, be very glad, but God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you about me. Now listen to what he says in Mark 13, 13. He says this, And everyone will hate you because you are my followers. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. I mean, he tells us right up front, people are going to hate you. You're going to be persecuted. Guys, this is a message that I don't want to hear. Oftentimes, when I'm sitting back and having my little self-pity party, I don't want to hear it. But you know what happens is, what comes to mind is, hey, Gail, I love you and all, but have you taken a kind of a broad view of the Scripture lately? There's been a lot of people persecuted in my name. And it really humbles me because a lot of times when I'm having a self-pity party, it really doesn't have anything to do about being persecuted for Jesus Christ. It has to do with people not liking me. People said something about me. And I don't like that. And I want to cry. And I want to say these are my enemies. And I hold that, up, that attitude up to Scripture and I'm thinking, how shallow are you? You know what I mean? How shallow are you? When there have been people, men and women, die for my name. And oh, by the way, there's people in this world today that lives outside of America, that lives in Asia, that are being persecuted, that lives in other parts of the world where they are literally, where they are literally losing their lives for my name. That's why I think the 4th of July should be so special for us. But not in a sense of... Wow, my freedom entitles me to all this stuff. It's my freedom allows me to worship God freely. We can assemble. We can talk. And by the way, guys, let me just share this with you very quickly. This is a sidebar. But as you watch the news today, in today's world, like the recent news, do you get some type of vibe or some type of idea deep down that things may be changing to the point to where us being able to assemble in here freely and for me to be able to share with you what, what I believe that the Word of God is communicating, one day that might be censored. But wait a minute, we live in America, right? I think there's a day coming very soon where the church is going to begin to experience more persecution. And I think we're experiencing persecution now. I think we're like a frog in a kettle though. I think for many of us we're asleep and one of these days, this freedom is going to be taken away where they're going to say, you can't talk about that because that discriminates other people. And I'm not talking about racial discrimination. I'm talking about lifestyle demonstration. You know the word, all right? Whatever. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? 
And I'm telling you guys, if you don't know the Word of God, there's many. You know, now, I believe, I believe what the, the Word of God teaches, that the saints, the true saints, will not get pulled away. But I want to tell you something. When you watch the news, there are a lot of Christian organizations, Christian dom- denominations, that are starting to go off path and they're becoming very deceived. And I pray to God that that will not be element. And I pray to God that if it comes down to persecution, I pray to God that if our government ever comes down and says, you can't do this or you have to do this to keep things like your tax identity, you know, 5013Cs and all that jazz, because I think that's where it will really hit us. When it hits the wallet, then we're like, whoa, okay, now let's talk about it. I hope we'll be in individuals that says, Christians that will say, no, that's not right. And we're always going to stand for what is true. And we're going to study the Word. And we're going to be like the, the Bereans and, you know, in the Ephesians where they, they not only took someone's message, but they researched it and they said, okay, this lines up with what the Word of God says. And that we will be that type of people. But you want to talk about persecution. I th- you know, it, and it scares me, but I believe you know, when you read the Word of God, things aren't going to get better. I'm just praying that we as a people will become stronger and we as a people will know the truth and we the, we the people will not be deceived, but we will continue to, to, to preach the Word of God as we believe the Word of God teaches and that we won't sway off of that. But I want to tell you something. That will, that will instill exactly what we're talking about today. Persecution. It may not be physical. It may be physical, but... It may be just simply some other things where we get mocked, where we get insulted, where we get some of our rights taken away because we believe in this. And I pray that we'll be a people that stands firm. But my point is this. We live in a world today where I I pray that we don't take this for granted because we live in a world today where people are literally still losing their lives for Jesus' name. And it's very sad that some of us are can be unaware of that. Where lives are being lost, and we read about it, we see it on the news. We're, you know, in the Middle East and some of these other places, Asia, even in even in the Latin American cultures, there's still some things taking place. When people are preaching the gospel, they can lose their lives, and it's very real. And and, and if we forget about this stuff, I pray that we would go back and just take a, a quick snippet of church history. There was a time when the translators of the Bible were burned at the stake, where their tongues were ripped out, where they were set on fire, they were dipped in oil, and all these other things. That's persecution. But these men and women stood for what was right to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. Will we be that type of individuals? Because here's what happens, guys. When we follow Jesus, people are going to hate us. By the way, that term Christian that we throw out there a lot, I'm a Christian, do you realize that that was a very derogatory word when it was first used? It was a very derogatory word. Oh, there goes one of those Christians. There goes one of those individuals that's like Christ, a little Christ-like individual. It was very derogatory. I pray that we will never lose sight of that term, that we say, you know what, I am a Christian, I am Christ-like, regardless if you mean it derogatory or not. But we will take on uh, the identity of Jesus Christ. Now, here's the other thing too, and I'm going to read. I want to read this to you very quickly. This is from John Piper, and um, I really like the way he frames and words some of these things. He says, "When we go into when we go into our world and we're devoted to a life of righteousness or godliness, he said we're going to be persecuted." And he says these things, and I'm just going to read them. He says, "If you cherish cherish chastity, your life will be on ta- on attack on how people." 
on people's love for free sex. If you embrace temperance, your life will be a statement against the love. Now, the love of alcohol, the abuse of alcohol. If you pursue self-control, your life will indict excess eating. If you live simply and happily, you will show the folly of luxury. If you walk humbly with your God, you will expose the evil of pride. If you are punctual and thorough in your dealings, you will lay open the inferiority of laziness and negligence. If you speak with compassion, you will throw callousness into sharp relief. If you are earnest, you will make the flippant look flippant instead of clever. And if you are spiritually minded, you will expose the worldly mindedness of those around you. Listen to what John 15.20 says. I don't have it here, but listen to these words. Remember, this is Jesus speaking. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you also. They will, and he says, if they obeyed my teaching, then they will obey yours also. Guys, here's the question, though. The question becomes, what are you willing to die for, right? This passage of Scripture, I think, really just it, it, it makes us, it forces us to take a look at our core values, the very thing that drives our life, and makes us define them. Because the first point is this, when we look at this and we begin to truly understand what we're willing to die for, it begins to strip away the earthly things, doesn't it? I don't know about you, but I'm not going to put my life on the line for something earthly. For something that's just going to dissipate in this world, be burned up in this world, or it's so temporal. That's Talk about the term insanity. You're going to die for something that's not heavenly or eternal? You're going to die for something that's earthly? You see, when it's, when, when it's put to the test, when it's put to the heat of the moment, when you might be persecuted for it, I'm guessing, I have a little suspicion that many of us would begin to strip away all those earthly things and says, you know what, I'm not sure that really matters. <laughs> Has a powerful way of doing that. The second point kind of goes along with this. It strips away the superficial things, right? I mean, these are the things, core values are the things that define us. The sad thing is, we've talked about this time and time again, and I think it's just the human struggle as well, but the sad thing is, for many of us, the things that are righteous, the things that are for, for God, unfortunately, they almost become the aspirational values, where we say, oh, I definitely believe in those things. Those are definitely core values in my life. Prayer is definitely a core value in my life. How much time do you spend with God in prayer? Well, I don't really spend time with God in prayer. I just kind of do it all along, blah, blah, blah. Or reading the Word of God, having the Word of God. I want to go to a church that preaches the Word of God. Do you study it? No, I don't study it. I go to, that's why I go to church. Wow. That's an aspirational value. Versus being in the Word of God and being immersed in the Scriptures, being saturated with the Word of God, understanding what is true and what is not true so that we won't be deceived in this world and we can go against the culture, not become part of the culture, not be transformed to the culture, but have our minds renewed so we can, our bodies can become spiritual uh, temples of worship. But I think once we start really bringing this down, our aspirational values start to go to the side, right? I'm not so sure many of us would die for things that are not eternal, especially if it really came to the heat of the moment. For some of us sitting in here, we would say, my family is a core value. I would die for my family. I would die for this. I would die for that. And when I say die, I mean literally, physically, where if it comes down to it and we have to, we, if we side with this side or we, or, and, and this side we know that it's going to, it's going to cost, of our, cost us our lives, 
That's what a core value is. I pray that we'd be individuals that would truly die for the Word of God, truly die for the things of God, the righteousness of God, for the right things. And Jesus says, you're going to be persecuted for those things. I think it's really hard. and I, I'm, Isn't it hard to think about these things when we live in a country that's so blessed where we're not persecuted? What about these other... I was reading a book by Alan Hirsch, The Forgotten Ways, and, and it just really blew me out of the water. He said this, and he looked at the early church and he said, why is it that any time the church became heavily persecuted, it exponentially increased? I'm thinking, wow, that is crazy, isn't it? And he used the early church. Remember the early church after, after Jesus, after the crucifixion, and, and they came and he started like persecuting the Christians and you could lose your life for it. And then in the early church times, you know, like eight, you know, one AD or whatever, two and all that jazz, where, you know, people were literally getting dipped in oil and used as human torches and the, even the translators getting their tongues ripped out and burned at the stake and all that stuff. Through all of that, the church grew exponentially. Holy cow. <laughs> over here in America today, if it's not convenient, man, we won't even attend church at times. I know that's harsh. But is that not true? And yet the church, when it's persecuted, it exponentially grows. He went through time. He used the church in China when, during the time where China was, and it's still kind of like this nowadays, but back in the day of Mao Zedong and all that, where the church was under heavy persecution, uh, they, it went underground. And when it came, it's like when it lifted and it came out, the church grew exponentially. We're talking millions. How is that possible? You would think it would go the opposite direction. I'm being persecuted the heck with this stuff. But it exponentially grew. Places where they couldn't read the Word of God, where they would gather around. Remember the, the days of uh, communist Russia where, uh, I remember, uh, was it, uh, Harold, you might remember this, the, uh, the God Smuggler. Remember that book back in the 70s, God Smuggler? Where this dude smuggled in all kinds of Bibles into, into communist countries and he put his life on the line and it gave him a purpose, a reason to live. And people would take these. There's some people, places where churches would actually go and as they went underground, they would sing, but they don't sing. They just mouth the words or they'd read scripture. They may have one piece of the, piece of the Bible, but as they meet, they they know that they could lose their lives, but they continue to meet. That's, those are individuals that says we are willing to die for this. And those are individuals that I'm sure that this message really hits home that says, if you follow me, you're going to be persecuted. You know, we take a little bit of mocking and insulting. It's like, whoa. And it kind of breaks us where these guys put their life on the line. Here's where I want to, as we kind of just continue here and, and, and kind of wind down, I want to say this. It, it strips away the earthly things. I think for many of us we would say, that's not really that important. I'm not going to die for that. And it strips away the superficial things. I think that's where things kind of become very clear to us what are eternal and what's heavenly. Here's the next thing, though it does. Persecution will strengthen us for endurance. Persecution will strengthen you for endurance. If you say, if you say I will die for this, it's going to strengthen you. Throughout Scripture, it seems to indicate that any time the church or Christians become persecuted, they, they become very much stronger because it's, because it's like, I mean, I'm going to die for this or I'm not. Think about, think about all the heresies that centered around the crucifixion. Think about the disciples as they were on the other side of the crucifixion. All of them except one died, were, was, was martyred. 
John was the only one that was taken off to the Isle of Patmos and he died a natural death as he penned out Revelation, uh, those writings and things like that. But for the rest of the disciples, they died. They were martyred. Peter was hung upside down, crucified to the cross upside down. He didn't want to be... He didn't want to be crucified the way Christ was. So he said, hang me upside, or crucify me upside down. But a lot, all of them were martyred. Why would someone die for a hoax? You've studied that before too. Why would someone die for a hoax? They put their life on the line. They believed it. And they were willing to be persecuted physically. But it strips all that way. But it also gives us endurance. When we say this is what I'm willing to die for, we're willing to endure what it takes to endure. And what happens when we go through the tough stuff? We become much, much stronger. Holy cow, we become much, much stronger. I don't understand why it has to work that way, but for some of us, it's like we have to go through the refiner's fire all the time to grow strong. I don't know about you, but I would like to not go through the refiner's fire and just continue to grow strong. But it seems like we as humans just can't. <laughs> it's, sometimes it's hard for us, and it's like we've got to go through tests and tests and tests to kind of say, oh, okay, I got it. But it strengthens us for endurance. And this last one is this. It gives an example for others to follow. When you read through the Old Testament, when you read through the New Testament, when you read through and you read about the prophets, and you read about all these people, these men and women that put their life on the line, when you read about the disciples, when you read about all these individuals, when you read chapter 11 of Hebrews, when it talks about these guys that put their lives on the line, and some of them they saw success as we, you know, define, you know, uh, you know, for what they were doing, others never saw any of it. But when you read about individuals like that, when you read about these missionaries that go into these countries and lose their lives or, or risk their lives, when you read about these individuals, it gives us an example to follow. You look at them and you say, yes, I can, I can, my, my stuff's nothing compared to what these individuals are doing, compared to what these, now I'm not trying to devalue or minimize anybody, but what I'm saying is this. We look at these individuals and it encourages us. We say, yes, these guys are doing it. Guys, I want to ask you this. If you're a Christ follower in here this morning, you claim to be a Christian, you claim to be a disciple for Jesus Christ, you claim that you're willing to die for all of this stuff, guys, I want to challenge you to keep on keeping on because we need examples. We need encouragement. Every single one of us needs encouragement to be able to look at someone else and that person say, keep on keeping on. I've been through it. You can do it too. We need examples. We've got way too many people, and just not just an element church, but wouldn't you agree that we've got way too many people that give this lip service and when you look for someone to someone for an example, for a model to follow, to get you through, to keep you keeping on, we're not finding it. We need people to stay on it, to be an example for others, to encourage us, to move us on, to help us get strengthened, to 
Give us endurance. We all need one another. That's what community is all about. So for me, I want to challenge you with this message that says, if you're on this and you're a disciple of Christ, I want to encourage you to keep on keeping on and to turn around at times and give encouragement to others to say, you know what, at times this is extremely difficult and I can share with you my times, but you've got to keep on keeping on because we're in this together. We're in this together. And guys, if you're giving it lip service, we need you. We need you. This is serious stuff that we're willing to die for, and we need you, and I want to challenge you to stop giving it lip service and commit to it. This isn't something that's an addendum to our lifestyle. This is what we are willing to die for. These are things with eternal significance and we need each other. And we need to challenge one another. And let's not make church some frivolous thing that we're not... Because there's some things that sometimes we get into conversations and it's like, holy cow, are you willing to die for that? That's not what church is about. Church is about committing our lives to Jesus and giving Jesus glory and allowing Jesus to live in and through us and to go out into our culture and literally upend our culture to be that irritant and dropping it in where we change the culture. By the way, that whole, as I close and the worship team comes back, um, that whole example, that whole analogy of the irritant. If you've had chemistry and you've done the basic little, basic little experiments like I'm talking about, you'll notice that there's times when you drop an irritant in that if that solution or if that um, the, 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 the dosage, whatever, the dosage of it is not correct when it drops in, the majority will take over the irritant and literally take what was dropped in and make it one of them. I pray that that's not who we are. I pray that when we get dropped in, we change this to this. We change our culture, our dominant culture, to the kingdom of heaven. That's what it's all about. And so, I pray that, again, this morning, that we're individuals that saying, I'm willing to die for this. And I want, you know, I'm, I'm enduring, and I'm going to turn, and I'm going to be an example, I'm going to be a model, and I'm going to be an encourager for others. I'm going to help others to, to, to live the life as well. And I'm not going to go around with sulking all the time. I'm going to go around and I want to give encouragement because this is worth dying for. So I want to let in with the question, what are you willing to die for? To literally die for? What is it you're willing to give it all up for? To throw everything in? Are you willing to give it all up for Jesus? Literally. Because if you remember, I think it's in Luke chapter 8, Jesus said, He talks about the cost of being a disciple, the cost for following Him. He says, I want it all. And if you can't give it all, don't even start. I want it all. Are you willing to give it your all? Jesus, we thank you for this message that you've given us today. And it's a message that is kind of timely as we, as we uh, celebrate our freedom as a country. I pray that we would never take that for granted, nor take our freedom in you for granted as well. I pray, Jesus, that today, the words that you've given us, that we would allow your Spirit, your Holy Spirit, to find freedom within our lives, to come and to minister, to convict, to encourage. I pray that, um, um, Father, as we leave here today, that we would leave 
a different person than when we walked in. That we might be more encouraged. That we might be someone that that, that um, we understand all of this. We've counted the cost. We're giving it all. We're giving it all to you. We're giving everything we have. And I pray that we would leave here today even more committed and even more excited and even more willing to be an example for others as we've endured this journey and continue to endure this journey and continue to, to, to grow more into Your image. And Father, if there are those in here this morning that are still struggling with this, I pray that they would allow Your Spirit to challenge them and allow Your Spirit to move them to a powerful conviction, a powerful redirection of their lives where they commit it fully to You. And I pray that we wouldn't be deceived. I pray that the enemy wouldn't come in and just say, hey, you're okay where you're at. You're alright where you're at. In fact, get angry because it's challenging. I pray we wouldn't listen to that. And we would allow Your Spirit to connect with ours and just draw us deeper into Your love and into, your, into this relationship with You. And that we would count the cost. And that we would become individuals that's more than willing to be persecuted for our faith in You, our right, the righteousness in You, and for following You. And that we would be all of us would be individuals that go into our culture, the dominant culture, and change it for You. Allowing You to work through us to change it. And so, Father, we just pray that You would continue to minister to us as we sing this last song. We pray that You would just help us to use this as a time of response, of, the, of however you want us to respond, that we would respond to you, your calling. And we pray all this in your name. Amen.